This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plains FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plainsfm.org.nz. Hello again and welcome to the October edition of the Shetland and Orkney Connection. It's presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The programme was broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month and repeated on Monday two weeks later at noon. Hello, I'm Jan Mackay. And I'm Heather Craw. Well, COVID is still with us, and I think it will be a while yet. I had my second vaccination last week, and other than a bit of a sore arm for the rest of the day, had no other side effects. Now some snippets from the papers. Drone test flights between Kirkwall and North Ronaldsay began recently. The unmanned aerial vehicle 
has begun carrying mail from Kirkwall Airport to North Ronaldsay, a 35-mile flight, or that's, I think, around 56 kilometres each way. The trial will support the community of North Ronaldsay with a service that's expected to be less affected by poor weather, while also reducing emissions. The drone can carry mail of all shapes and sizes, enabling the transportation of all mail bound to and from the island. Once landed, the letters and parcels will then be delivered by the local postie in the usual way. Mr Scales said, It was lovely to see the community come out to welcome the drone, and what we didn't realise, it was exactly 83 years to the day that North Ronaldsay had their first passenger flight. It now means that the Sunday papers arrive on Sunday and urgent medical goods from the NHS can get to the islands in 30 minutes. I think that's great. Yeah, that's that can that's, be life-changing. Yeah, yeah life I think that, that's the most important thing, I think, yeah. Mm. Mm. Following more flights to North Ronaldsay, the drones will also be flying to E-Day and then to Fair Isle. Next year, they'll be going from Orkney to Shetland. Mm. Yes, it's amazing what these drones can do, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Highland and Ireland's Enterprise have pledged £2.23 million to build the Fair Isle Bird Observatory. It said this funding would help the £7.4 million project move closer to reality. Designed by Colin Armstrong Architects from Aberdeen, the modular building will largely be constructed off-site, with modules being shipped to Fair Isle for assembly. It is hoped the new observatory will be ready to welcome the first visitors in 2022. But seven point million pound, you know, that's fourteen, nearly fifteen million dollars. It's a lot of money, isn't it? It is a lot of money. Let's hope it lasts a very long time. Yeah, it doesn't get burnt down this time, yeah. Mm. Mm. A decision on the replacement of the Gilbert Bain Hospital in Shetland could be made this year after the Health Board made rapid progress on the plans. Plans for a new hospital have been under discussion for several years. There's been a growing urgency ever since a report in 2019 found the current hospital building was not fit for purpose. And that'll be another expensive building, yeah. (laughs) A rare visitor from America has been causing a flutter of excitement in Shetland. Monarch butterflies are known for their epic migration every autumn from North America to Mexico, but this one appears to have been blown off course, making landfall in Shetland. It is only the fourth ever sighting of a monarch butterfly in Shetland. Wow. Mm. They're incredible when you think how delicate they yeah, are. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Mm. In 2021, Orkney is marking the centenary of the birth of Orkney poet and writer George Mackay-Brown. Orkney Library and Archive and the George Mackay-Brown Fellowship would like everyone to help by knitting a hat for George. The idea is to encourage creativity through knitting, using George's writing as the inspiration to create a collection of unique knitted hats that will be displayed and then auctioned to raise money for local charities. Everyone is welcome to take part, and hats can be any style, colour or pattern. (laughs) Yes, it'd be quite interesting. Mm. Mm. TV star Douglas Henshaw has recently unveiled a plaque in his name as a thanks from Shetland for the success of the namesake TV series and the boost it has given tourism. The plaque was unveiled by Mr Henshaw in the road outside his fictional home in the show. The Lodberries is a site that has become one of pilgrimage for the fans of the series who visit. Plans have been unveiled recently to create one of the world's first large-scale green hydrogen plants on the island of Flotter in Orkney. 
Is that flutter or flutter? It's, it's flutter, yeah. Flutter. Yep. The potential multi-million pound project would see the current fossil fuel-related activity at the terminal there gradually phased out and power from a proposed offshore wind farm to the west of Orkney taken and turned into hydrogen. It's hoped that could then be exported nationally and internationally. Yeah, Flot is the oil terminal. It's in sort of the middle of Scapa Flow. Mm. Ah, OK. Mm. A shipment of 350 kilograms of wool donated by generous Shetlanders has made its way thousands of miles to help with the empowerment of Syrian refugees. Shetland artist Janice Armstrong, who launched the appeal earlier this year, said the boxes of wool had been met with a wonderful reaction. The wool was donated to the Sabara Social Enterprise in Beirut to support its aims providing income and empowerment for vulnerable women through the high-end handmade products such as cushions, tablecloths, bedspreads and accessories. It's another example of the generosity of the islanders. Yeah, it's you amazing, know. isn't mm, it? Mm. And that'll make a massive difference for those mm. women. Yeah. As Remembrance Day is next month, we thought we would talk about Shetland's involvement in World War I and World War II. Most people know about Orkney and their involvement, with the Royal Navy's fleet being based in Scarpa Flow and the scuttling of the German fleet in Scarpa Flow. So here are a few snippets of what happened during the wars in Shetland. Yeah, in the beginning, in July 1900, the War Office agreed to the formation of companies of 7th Volunteers in Shetland. At the end of November 1900, three companies attached to the Gordon Highlanders was raised in the islands, two in Lerwick and one in Scalloway. An important milestone as there had not been a military presence in Shetland since 1884. In 1908, as a response to reforms following the Boer War, the volunteers were replaced by the Territorial Force. They attended the coronation of King George V in London in 1911. The Shetland unit became the Shetland Companies and was recognised in the two as two companies. The Territorial, a part-time soldier, signed up for four years, undertaking drills, military manoeuvres and camp. Membership was mainly from Lerwick, but others joined from all over Shetland, having a variety of backgrounds including the hearing industry, academia, shops and other trades while seizing the opportunity to participate in part-time soldiering, pipe band practice, recreation and sport. Upon the outbreak of war, more men were needed alongside the depleted British Expeditionary Force in Kitchener Volunteers. On 13th of June 1915, an estimated 240 Shetland men left for mainland Scotland on SS Cambria. Thousands lined the street and foreshore of Lerwick, on an emotional day to say their goodbyes. Some territorials were in action during the summer Somme offensive. However, the major involvement of these local men took place during the final Somme offensive on 13th of November along the Ankara River, the largest single loss Shetland had over one day during the Great War. Mm. In 1939, Shetland was flooded with more than 20,000 servicemen to garrison the islands. They found a friendly, hospitable race of Shetlanders living simple, reasonably contented lives, but, in many places, without such facilities as electricity, piped water, drainage and good roads. Suddenly, Shetland was thrust into the 20th century as Whitehall sought to remedy the situation. 
at least for the benefit of the armed forces, and millions of pounds were spent in improving roads and providing basic amenities. The islands began to enjoy full employment. Wages ran at a level never before experienced, and a dramatic rise occurred in living conditions. At the outbreak of the Second World War, Shetland, a virtually forgotten backwater in the United Kingdom, was rediscovered by London and became the northern base of the war effort, playing a vital role in the North Sea blockade. Yeah, they did. They had uh, flying boats from Skatsta Airport um, patrolling the sea above Shetland because that's where the Germans came, through the Baltic. Right, very strategic. Mm. Yeah, it was. It 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 was a strategic position, yeah. Again, the influx of servicemen with troops possibly outnumbering civilians led to a welcome increase in well-paid, full and part-time local employment and thereby to an increased standard of living. Even in rural areas, basic amenities like water, electricity and roads were gradually installed, and that was similar in Orkney to, um, you know, the war. Upgraded. It did, it did, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the two recent Great Wars resulted in very heavy, heavy casualties among Shetlanders serving in the forces. The loss of many young men through war has helped to reduce the population of every district in Shetland. Mm, it happens everywhere. Mm. Among Shetland seamen, one in six failed to come home. Percentage-wise, that was three times as many as were lost in the Army, the Navy or the Air Force. Out of the 357 Shetland lives lost in the war, 248 were merchant seamen, almost 70% of the total. Another 10%, 36 men, belongs to the Royal Navy. So out of the total losses, almost 80% were seamen. Mm. By war's outbreak in 1939, there were large numbers of Shetland men at sea, more and more Shetland men on the edge of starvation as fishermen crofters in their native islands found a living in the merchant ships. The local population aided the war effort in lots of different ways. During November and December 1940, by holding dances, whist drives, and house-to-house collections, the sum of £6,000 was raised to buy a Spitfire. During War Weapons Week in October 1941, people were asked to put their savings towards the war effort. The aim was to raise £60,000, but a final total of £282,363 was raised. Mm. Amazing, isn't it? Mm. Mm. During the Second World War, over 20,000 troops were stationed in Shetland, They came from every corner of Britain and from many parts of the Commonwealth. Fleeing Norwegians arrived in their thousands. Polish, Dutch and other escapees swelled the military set-up. Soon, Navy, Army and Air Force personnel exceeded in their total the number of native Shetlanders. Never before had there been such an influx of people into the islands. I know in uh, Orkney it wasn't a very popular posting because of the weather, and I would say Shetland would be much the same. I can imagine. (laughs) A bit isolated, Mm. yeah. British forces considered Shetland to be extremely important and needed to be secured due to its proximity to Norway, which was invaded by Germany in 1940. Mm. Yes, a lot of Norwegians came down to um, Shetland in the Norwegian refugee timeline. On the 9th of April 1940, Invasion of Norway by the German army. May, June 1940, groups of Norwegian refugees started to arrive in Shetland. End of 1940, 30 ships brought over 200 refugees to Shetlands. 
they called ships, but I think they would be more fishing boats and things. Mm. September 1941, 580 Norwegians refugees passed through Lerwick. Approximately 5,000 Norwegians escaped. The vast majority came to Shetland in 1941. 1,881 Norwegian refugees passed through Lerwick. This letter was written by the Norwegian government in exile on the 30th of May 1940. The excellent reception which has been given to the refugees at Shetland has been indicated by every newcomer who has passed through Shetland. They have met with kindness and understanding by everyone they have been in contact with, and for this we are very grateful. Mm. It was a very dangerous crossing from Norway to Shetland. As well as a military threat, many people came in very small, ill-equipped boats with little or no means of navigation. Seven young men arrived at Bolter Sound after a two-day sail from somewhere north of Bergen, with no compass, no log, but a good watch and just enough fuel for a straight run. A camp for Norwegian refugees was set up at the bottom of Browns Road in Lerwick, managed by Mr and Mrs James Addy. Unemployment had been an unhappy feature of the interwar years, but wartime construction needs provided full employment for those who were left at home. Wages soar, and the cost of living soared with this. A man engaged in war work could make as much in a couple of days as he would have earned in a full week before the war. A positive effect of the war in Shetland was the improved roads. Roads from Lerwick to Sunborough, Victor and Vaux now all had tarmac. Oh, gee. <laughs> Curfew. No one was to be outside between 11pm and 4am. Along the coastline, floating mines were a real danger. The mines were huge and caused great damage to houses and killed several civilians when they exploded along the coast. Mm. The lack of young men during the war meant that in some islands there were not enough workers to manage the ferries, isolating some rural communities altogether. Girls from Shetland were called up and placed in the land army. Many found themselves working in dairy farms. You are listening to the Shetland and Orkney Connection on Plains FM 96.9. Today we're talking about how Shetland was involved in World War One and World War Two. Some of you may have heard about the Shetland bus. Well, it was a boat that travelled between Shetland and Norway during the war. The vessels used, fishing boats, were used between 1940 and 1943, after which submarine chasers were used. Defensive weapons were added to fishing boats, disguised in lots of ways under tarpaulins or inside customised oil drums. The submarine chasers were impressive vehicles, fast, strong and well-armed. They were comfortable for the crew with showers, fridge and toasters. Scalaway became the safe operational base for the free Norwegians who, using disguised fishing boats, regularly ran arms to the underground resistance movement in Norway and brought back refugees and volunteers and frequently extremely valuable information. They did 206 missions. To Norway, 192 men and 383 tonnes of military stock. Out of Norway, 73 agents and 373 refugees. The Special Operations Executive, based at Walesdale, was central to the organisation of the Shetland bus. And just today it came in on my computer that the last member of the Shetland bus is being recognised by Westminster. Jacob Strandheim has died in Norway aged 101. 
Yeah. He must, as I say, he must have been very young when he was on the Shetland bus. He must have mm. been. Such mm. a brave thing to do. Mm. Mm. Have you been on the Shetlanders on the Western Front website? It does have some interesting pictures and articles of life for Shetlanders on the Western Front. Right, the Shetland War Letter. This was written to Mr Gordy. It states, Dear Mr Gordy, I write as Officer Commanding C Company in which your son, S.H. Gordy, was serving as a sergeant to express warmest sympathy with you in your loss. My company had been ordered to attack a Bulgar position and to do so we had to go over a bank and across a bridge, both of which were swept by heavy machine gun fire. It was while going over the bank that your son fell. He was removed at once to the dressing station and taken down to the field ambulance in the evening, but died next day, December the 7th. I do not think he suffered much, as the effect of his wound was to paralyse all the lower part of his body, where he had no feeling at all. Your son joined my old squadron, G, with a draft in Egypt, and soon became a sergeant again and when we were recognised, he became platoon sergeant in my company. I shall miss him very much, as I always found him most keen on his duties, and he did them well and thoroughly. He was not with us at Gallipoli, so this country was his first experience of active service, which sometimes changes one's opinion of people, but I found your son just as cool and competent in action as he had been in training. I lost in one day the officer and sergeant of that platoon, and they will both be difficult indeed to replace, and both are mourned by all their comrades. Yours sincerely, signed G.L. Craig, Captain. And then it's P.S. He was buried near the hospital where he died, which I thought was a funny thing, to, strange thing to add, but anyway. Well, I suppose it's so the family could find him. Yeah, yes, yeah, mm. yes, they know where he is, yeah. Jesse Hardy, also known as Janet, lost three sons during the Great Wars. Charles, aged 25, lost by the sinking of his ship SS North Wales off Penzance on October 24, 1916. William David accidentally drowned at Calcutta whilst serving on SS Bylands. And Thomas died of his wounds on the Western Front on the 2nd of November, 1914. She was asked to unveil the War Memorial in Lerwick on the 6th of January, 1924, at least 3,000 people turned up to the service, then paraded to the memorial to watch the unveiling. The parade was led by the band, then the ex-servicemen. There was a great feeling of loss throughout the service and a very solemn silence when Mrs Hardy pulled down the flags to reveal the memorial. Mm. Well, it's time for us to finish. I hope you have enjoyed the programme. In my opinion, war is a nasty business in which nobody wins and it causes much pain and suffering to everybody involved. Keep safe, wear your mask, and if you haven't already done so, get vaccinated. The music we have for our outro today was another track from the Kirkwall City Pipe Band. Cheerio until next month. Take care. There once was a troop of Irish dragoons Come marching down through five and their captain's fan in love we a very bonny lass And her name it was called Pretty Peggy O Her name it was called Pretty Peggy O